0: All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Learnable Show. I'm Lowell. As uh, longtime listeners know, every week we talk to expert scientists, artists, leaders uh, from around the world. And today we're joined with Drea Burbank, who uh, is my fr- is the first person in the Amazon that we've had on the show, which is kind of fun. Th- this has taken a a little bit of work to get this going because you know internet, Amazon, all these different things. So I appreciate your patience, and uh, listener, I think you're you're, you're going to enjoy this this conversation. But Drea, thanks. Uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So, what are you what are you doing in the Amazon? What, what's going on down there?
1: Wow. I I did not expect to be here this long. I just came for a visit, and then I fell in love with it. So, and then cr- some crazy stuff was happening. You know, big changes. And so I was like, wow, this is like it's almost like a tech hub, but in a totally different way for the environment, I guess.
0: Hmm. So, uh, yeah. I think originally when we spoke. Uh, you said you were gonna be down there for like a, a couple more weeks and it's been a couple more months so what's the what's the difference in time
1: it's like indefinite like uh so right now i'm traveling around different areas of the amazon and scouting projects and all mm-hmm. our projects start with the shaman so we're like we'll meet the shaman first and if the shaman wants to work with us then we go
2: so uh
0: shaman is in like like a native american indigenous person medicine
1: doctor yeah uh okay. if you read like anthropological accounts of shaman they have a leadership role they also have like a financial hmm. role so they're in the community they kind of manage resources for an indigenous community mm-hmm. so we start there then then we start if they want to work with us
0: how, how deep are you going in the amazon how are you finding these people
1: I just came for a visit, like, um, to see, I was, I, I, as a doctor, I was interested in ethnobotany in undergrad and then in medical school. I trained in rural Canada and there's a lot of indigenous medicine there. So, um, when I, I had some time after COVID and I was traveling around the world and I wanted to see what it was like here and what, what they did for therapy, I was really curious. So I came and visited them and we were hanging out and then they were telling me about how they were buying land. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, that's really interesting. And then uh, we we got into it and I realized the land wasn't very expensive, but they didn't have a lot of money to buy it. And I thought, why don't you guys just sell the carbon credits on all this jungle you're preserving? Um, mm-hmm. It didn't make sense to me that only white people were getting money for it. So most of the carbon market is uh, like a large... A large business deal will happen with the corrupt government and the person gets, you know, the the person who sold off to the petroleum company or made the deal will get paid in land. So foreigners will have these huge land tracts and then they'll um, sell that as carbon credits. So it's not really like locals. And in the meantime, Mm. like 80 percent of the preserved forests is indigenous owned, but they are not in the carbon markets directly.
0: That's interesting. That's a a unique uh, opportunity because then they can you know, upgrade infrastructure, get hospitals and stuff like that, I imagine they can do with the money. Also just, you know, versus it just being like some person far away benefiting, someone actually local would get the benefit of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the issue. Like uh, it's because of this belief in collectively owned land. Like they don't believe that land can be owned. So Hmm. they're like, you know, they don't really have a lot of infrastructure for managing and selling land and stuff like that. But when I got down here, I was like, wow, these kids are so tech savvy. Like they all had their own cell phones and their... like they're they're networked in a way that that people who are industrialized aren't like they all know each other they all talk on whatsapp Mm -hmm. like internationally all over the world so like these guys are connected to like indigenous rights people in australia and canada and the lakota and like they all like just text each other on whatsapp so i was like well you know that's a network it's a social network it's just not what you would expect
0: that's cool so then it it, i guess it's easier to find them then because they have like a whatsapp or like a community page of some kind yeah. versus like you have to like trek through, you know in the amazon and hope you find someone or like there's like a map or something to, to see people i've never no, been to the like amazon they I just know all it's know big. each other
1: They're a lot of them are mm. active in international indigenous rights um so but if, i think the big issue is not a matter of like awareness they're hyper intelligent and very aware and they've been protecting yeah. their lands for a long time um in many ways it's like avatar it's like a very alternative reality like technically the jungle is owned by brazil or colombia but the reality is the government has no power in a lot of these areas. It's still held by the people that held it 5,000 years ago. Uh, You know, some relation to the Inca or like before that or different tribes. So yeah, we say it's like Colombia or Brazil, but the reality is it's independent, autonomous indigenous groups. And they were smelting platinum when the Europeans were. So they know what they're doing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: There's a great, uh, I read a lot about Native Americans indigenous americans is the one that you use there's so many different names there's also in canada's first nations so
1: well actually i grew up in idaho on what was legally mm-hmm. the the Nez Perce indian reservation like that was the signs all over the u.s forest service yeah. but when i moved to canada like you would never say the word indian it would be considered racist whereas like people in the u.s would use the word indian and so it really depends on the person um after working for a long time i started using the word indigenous or aboriginal just because it seemed to like offend like nobody but it really depends on who you talk to down here they 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 say indigenous so that's indigenous kind of safe. yeah but i indigenous. try and use what, whatever word people are comfortable with in their setting it's tougher when you're like on a podcast and there's people all over the world listening
0: mm-hmm. well it, it's the nomenclature matters because I, I was recently talking to someone. I'm talking to a bunch of people that are Native American to come on the show. Uh, yeah. Indigenous, uh, well, Native American. I, I'll call like North American Native Americans are okay with being called Native Americans. And then if I talk about South Americans, I call them Indigenous because that's the appropriate name. Um, but, but if I ask them, like, what I have asked them the question, like, what do I refer to you as if I'm referring to you in like third person stuff? Um, and they 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 actually think that I'm the Native American and like they're they're Crow or Cree or whomever. They're not. Uh, they don't, they don't see themselves as Native American, they see everyone else as Native American.
1: Yeah, like uh, I was, this, this came up in the context, I think an anthropologist told me about this, about intellectual disabilities, but there's been a number of terms for people with intellectual disabilities over the years. And some of them started as medical terms and then they suddenly became stigmatized. And she said that the issue was more the stigma than the name. So if you keep the name and don't change the stigma, if you, sorry, change the name, and don't change the stigma associated with it, then it doesn't really matter what word you use. It continues. And so I think mm. when it comes to slurs, I change how we're treating people.
2: Yeah.
0: The, there was a slight breakup, but I did like, weirdly enough, the words came through so I could understand you. So that uh, the, uh, I don't know if I'm freezing for you now or not.
1: No, no, you're good. I can see it one more time
0: no no i got you i, I think okay, it came cool. through it's just more like i think the the fact that we're like talking to amazon it's you know it adds like the uh some authenticity to like like you're definitely somewhere remote or else you'd have like a you know uh but actually how does the internet work are you having like one of those starlink things
1: i just got a starlink at best day of my life i got some email from starlink finally it's on its way and the shaman or man the shipping thank goodness because shipping here is you know like your buddy hands it to his friend who takes it on the bus who drives it up the river and hanks it in but yeah uh, i've also got satellite internet local colombian satellite internet it's pretty good i'm calling you on supposedly fiber optic but i'm skeptical
0: yeah i don't know um, i've never talked to someone It's definitely in always south of-
1: the lag so yeah
0: yeah yeah there's there's a little uh uh static but it's not i think if we just are patient it'll be fine um i'm curious how the it'll be with uh, starlink when it's set up though like uh, if it'll be that much better or not because if fiber should be be better better technically but uh starlink is starlink so i don't know i'm really curious too
1: actually i'm i feel someone because i'm an environmentalist and my friend does space junk and he doesn't like starlink but i'm so excited that they have a gazillion satellites
0: in there yeah well the, the your friend should feel good about the fact that they deorbit pretty like every like five years like they don't stay up there which is nice
1: oh i didn't know that that's really great i'm happy
0: yeah, they're desi- i don't know if yeah they're be. they're yeah they're they're designed to deorbit like for I think it's every like five years. I think it's literally every five years. Like the FDA, the not the FDA, the FAA said like you have to. It has disposal is a part of anything you put up in space now.
1: Oh, that's oh. great. Well, then my friend was probably pretty successful. Um, yeah. I, I love his stuff. He he saw him speak, and we became buddies. He I was like, hey, since you're doing space environmentalism, we should you know get connected about the indigenous people because i feel like our species if we're headed out to the stars we also need to consider like the people who are supposedly low tech and like i thought it'd be cool if we partnered some of the space companies with the indigenous groups um to offset their carbon emissions because it's kind of like closing the circuit
0: Mm -hmm. that makes sense so um so diving into it i'd love to hear more about you connecting with the shamans and having that that uh connection because i'm I'm learning a lot about native american uh native americans indigenous first nations and there's a great uh youtube channel called ancient americans and they talk about the pottery and and all this stuff in south america it's like really cool uh history so how how does that conversation go so they kind of know you're coming at that point you know right i assume they know you're coming like hey i'm gonna be there on the tuesday
1: yeah like his brother nelly texted him on whatsapp and was like great will be there on tuesday and then he was like sure i'll pick her up and then I went hiking around and met everybody, five different shaman I got to meet in the period of time I was here. And then um, they were trying to, while I was visiting, we made friends. And I don't know why, but we got along really well. I think it's because I grew up off the grid and um, and I fought forest fires for a long time. And so I was just pretty comfortable here in a way Mm. that they weren't used to seeing maybe. And then um, I was really interested in the economics. I don't know why, but like, I just realized, you know, if this guy gets $20 and he'll go buy a chicken from one person for $3 and then he'll make sure that the cook gets hired for $10 and the cook's daughter gets paid for something. So I was just really interested in how he was distributing the wealth in his community mm. because unlike North American society, um, they, it's like we have values of meritocracy and that makes us both competitive and unequal. And that's not really a value here. Like their values are different. Like they want to be equal and non-competitive and collaborative. So I was curious how it changed the economics.
0: Uh, do they have like, do they just pull everything in like one bank account? And then they just like, when, when the, when the carbon credits, uh, like when a company buys carbon credits and then it goes to these farmers, does it just for, for the community, does it just like go into a giant bank account and the shamans bring it down from there?
1: Okay, that is my that is my nerdiest and coolest thing where I'm doing right now. Okay. Hmm. Do you, I don't know if you want to hear about this. Do you, how much I do do you want to know hear about, about it? How much do you know about DAOs?
0: Uh that da, I I know Deo DJ but uh, what, distributed what do you mean?
1: autonomous organizations. It's it's I, I like an think. innovation from blockchain. So, people hmm. have applied blockchain to all kinds of things, money, supply chain tracking. But the coolest innovation, I think, is something called DAOs, and it's basically like decentralized uh, organizations. And what's fascinating hmm. to me is that we try and put—we've we, been trying to create DAOs in like North American urbanized culture, and we have a very hierarchical society. And usually, they build the—they build the code for it. Um, And then, but people don't know how to run it. Like they don't have that culture. And so they're always trying to manage the code, but it's not going very well. I've been in several groups like this now. Um, What's really interesting to me is these groups function like DAO. Like they're totally distributed and autonomous. The only difference is Hmm. that they're not, nobody's ever um, anonymous. So everybody knows everybody. And um, it's, it's not like the shaman just says, this is what we're going to do. It's like the shaman goes to every single house and he's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do, do? Well, it looks like we're going to go this way. Like, and then, and then some people change their mind and like, you know, and eventually the whole group gets together and decides on something, but it's very like fluid. Hmm. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder, I, I picture, like, how that work in America? And I feel like you'd have, like, a t- I, I, I mainly uh, attribute it to, like, someone in a 10-gallon hat being angry that someone gets more than him or something, but yeah, um, we can't it's an do entirely it. for culture. culture. Yeah. We don't have
1: the culture for it. Like, we think we do, but we don't. Like, and then when I so saw yesterday, so cool, mm. I was, like, It just happened to, so they want to do ecotourism and I'm really excited for them. And I was like, I'll help you do it, but we're going to make sure that it doesn't go wrong. So let's sit down and like really think about what you want and what you don't want before you start inviting people here. Um, so anyway, I was, I was like going to a farmer's house to look at his house to see if he could host and, uh, he can't, by the way, he was all set up for it. But then, um, we walked by this huge road construction and I saw them a year ago negotiating this. The mayor went, it was like an eight hour long meeting. I've seen like so many community meetings about this, but then I go and there's like 50 people, all volunteers, the whole, all like I think five villages are represented and they're just completely like coordinated during this massive mm. like earth road construction together to like open up a new bridge that like there'd been a landslide and they had to clear it out. So that the mayor loans them the machine, the two villages are there there's like 50 people and they're doing everything by hand, but it's like so coordinated. So it seems inefficient, but it's actually not like when they actually do stuff, they do it.
2: Mm
0: yeah is the when when you see the roads being ripped up is there i I heard that there's like a special type of earth that exists in the amazon that's like artificial like the indigenous people created i forget what it's called uh but there's like it's like black and it's like really really rich in nutrients it's kind of like a it's kind of like a don't know i just know it's like there's like a they're apparently supposed to be like this black portion of earth that's not soil like normal but it's like a special do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I do, actually. So it's one of the mechanisms for storing carbon. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have lots of mechanisms to store carbon and pull it out of the atmosphere. One of the most efficient is something called biochar. It's not coal, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot like coal. So you have to kind of like steam your wood until it like smokes down. and But it doesn't actually like combust the carbon. It like stores it. And it's a, it's a fertilizer. It's an ancient fertilizer. So they put it in the soil. It turns the soil black and it leaches nutrients out into the soil. It's like a totally amazing fertilizer carbon storage I, I think it's our best solution for the climate crisis to be honest
0: to sequester carbon specifically for yeah, the climate or
1: biochar is technically the best solution that i
2: know of right now
0: what's uh how much i don't know like this might be like too mathy but like how much can you store per like cubic foot
2: <sighs> i don't know
1: i can't tell you that i i know yeah, i feel that... like that's too mathy <laughs> No, no, it's great. I should know that. I just don't know it right now. It, so I, what I can say is it, it depends on what you burn. So I have mm. friends in India and in Mumbai who do organic waste for city dumps. And I have friends doing it in California with the new standard for, for city organic waste processing. For us, uh, we're still calculating it based on the wood. But we ha- in, in the Amazon, you have up to 3,000 different species of tree in one hectare. So it's not really mm. rational for us to try and calculate it we usually yeah. look at, just look at averages. Um, it depends yeah. on the specific density of the wood, the combustion and a bunch of other factors, but I am talking to way too many experts right now to figure that out. Cause we have to like quantify it if we want to sell mm-hmm. the service.
0: Yeah. Especially if it has all those in, inbuilt benefits, you know, if they're, if the, if it has the soil component, it has, uh, the trees, you know, uh, filtering stuff as well. Um, and then, uh, if you compare that to like something in north america i feel like it would like just inherently we don't have like the soil component we just have normal soil so if you were to plant like a, a hectare of i don't know like a pine pine wood uh versus a hectare down there you get the soil and the trees at the same time and whatever else you might farm on the land so it, i feel it feels just inherently like it'd be better but then you know you have those like business people out there it's like how much better you know they, they want to you know be able to go well, deep on the, it
1: the, 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 the length of time of storage is non-trivial mm. so most of our, like a tree is average lives for 40 years by the industry standard that's kind of what they use in north america down here they live about 300 but that's debatable um but carbon biochar specifically stores carbon for 500 years so anything wow. you can store by that method method is going to take us past this event horizon we're reaching in 2050.
0: yeah it's a scary time there's so many different things going on uh you know like we have pandemics we have Russia, you know, have like all these different things. It's like, it's like a, an exciting time to be alive, which also means it's maybe not the best time. You know, like that usually means like there's lots of bad stuff going on, but oh, uh, we also the have the Chinese technology power, and people right? like- with, the, Chinese, the, the ancient uh,
1: Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I know from Lord of the Rings. So maybe Tolkien took it from them.
1: I Oh, maybe I have it wrong. Maybe my source is bad. I'm sorry, but I think it's a great curse.
0: Yeah. it. Yeah. The Chinese have a lot of really cool- uh pithy quotes and stuff like that they're they're very good strategists so I wouldn't be surprised well in terms of ancient history like uh uh the like the what why am I blanking on this it's right behind me I think oh oh, it doesn't matter
2: it's gonna come right right back to you oh I love
1: the art of war it's so great yeah I
0: have I have two versions I have a graphic novel version of it and then the the book version of it just for fun I don't know why I was blanking on this I was thinking I was thinking art war and it's like that there's something wrong there
1: It's all right. I I got you on the same wavelength. Um, One of my favorite, one of the best talks I ever heard at a conference was this woman who was talking about space strategy between India and China. And she was comparing Hmm. Chinese space strategy to US. And she was saying that the Chinese have a significant advantage, which is uh, the ability to collaborate like seamlessly on large projects and also just a very long term planning view. Which I yeah. think is interesting. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, cultures certainly have different times that they think in.
0: So, yeah. The there was a, a statesman from China who was asked what he thought of the Revolutionary War in America, and he responded, "Too soon to tell." It's like I love that. That's fun. You yeah. know, If you have like an empire that lasts like two, two, five thousand years, but yeah. um. So, so you're, you're there longer. You're 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 having fun setting up the. What, are the, what is the technical term? It's not like a cooperative. Like that's like the closest I can think of it, where like people own a portion of like everything that comes into it.
1: A collective is usually the, the word oh. applied in an economic term, but I will say indigenous collectives are unique in that they're so autonomous. Like when you mm. go to like North America, like a Mennonite community or um, you know a nonprofit, a lot of people like follow the, the collective ethos. But indigenous communities seem to be unique in my observation. Keep in mind, I'm not indigenous. I, but in some ways, yeah. that's kind of a bit of an asset because I am maybe a, a good observer. But one thing I've noticed is that indigenous communities, people are like wildly independent. Like, um, even though they make decisions together, they do it in a very like, I'm a unique autonomous individual choosing to join way. So it's like, it's almost the opposite of what we do in the US where, like, where we're like, wildly independent but can't like work together
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, the that's interesting so then how does the i know i wanted to i even underlined it in my notes um we've been talking about a little bit but how does the fair trade carbon credit program actually work so we talked about um you get it the the shamans you get people um you get land and then but like the, you know, like, so let's like, let's tie it all together. How does it? Okay, act, yeah. work? Okay.
1: So um, first up, the the carbon market's been around for like twenty years, so it's an established market. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the technical, the scientific and technical requirements to enter have mostly kept small farmers or indigenous peoples out, um, either by intention or uh, you could just say it was a side effect. Um, they mm-hmm. they weren't designed to serve people with who didn't have strong technical scientific education, and it's only getting worse because of all the criticisms from the science community. Um, for us, uh, we we thought we could bridge the gap. And the reason that we wanted to is we realized um, a lot of the carbon programs are not optimized for climate, if you don't think about indigenous peoples, because 25% of the world's land carbon is stored on the Amazon. It's at the equator. poor central governments, 80% of the forest that is intact is controlled by indigenous groups. Like, if you don't work with them, you're actually not going to turn the dial. Um, mm. So I'll give you an example. I read a study about how much carbon was stored in Austin. I think this is really high, but they were saying 200 um, tons of carbon per hectare in Austin. I think that's a value overestimated. But down here, our studies show about 850 tons of carbon per hectare. So it's just storing a lot more carbon. And uh, also the deforestation is a huge risk because if what happens if he is you can talk about it from like a planetary cycle perspective or from just losing huge amounts of biological data. But just from this sheer carbon ten accounting, it's so stupid to lose the Amazon because if with a quarter of the world's land carbon is stored in a forest that has local rainfall. So the trees mm-hmm. suck the water out of the ground. They create local clouds and it rains on them so they don't burn but it's at a tipping point because it's been deforested so much and we might lose the local rainfall, which means that they might burn and emit the carbon that's stored. So it could make mm. the entire thing really significantly worse. And to stop deforestation, you have to value on the ground with something that matters where the trees are getting cut down with the people who are cutting them down. And it's not a, a trade negotiation in Bogota. It's literally like landing at the end of the road and talking to the shaman to sit, figure out why that tree got cut down. Usually the shaman are the ones trying to keep the trees standing, um, which is why we work with them. They're already trying their best. Um, what we found is that it's local economics, like people coming in and cutting down trees because the the food crops and they're doing it for yeah. subsistence reasons.
0: It's their so the idea is to make it more profitable to not cut it down. So then yeah. they don't okay and then, yeah. um, and then we, at we, the same time,
1: we're looking at economics, like, and it's so cool because mm-hmm. the economics are just different. Like you don't need a lot of money. You just need to deploy the money where it's actually happening. So mm-hmm. people are wasting huge, huge sums of money, um, trying to push these initiatives through central urban governments when they, when they should be trying find, trying to find a way to get the money to the end of the road. So these yeah. guys that I work with, they had been conserving for 20 years. They had only ever lost money doing it. Uh, they they didn't uh, grow cocaine because they did not want to cut down the forest for narcotrafficking, trafficking. So they resisted that. Um, they chased out patrolling and mining companies that were going to cut down the trees and lost money because of that. Um, and then they actually paid extra money for years because they were paying taxes on the land, but had no productive use for it. So mm. financial loss, 20 years st- sticking with their guns. They're the perfect partner. So for yeah. us, it was really easy. And then, um, you know we were just interested in getting them paid so that what they were doing looked attractive to other people i, yeah. I think they would conserve no matter what but their neighbors aren't going to conserve if it looks like that guy's just getting his ass kicked
2: mm-hmm.
0: i was recently talking to uh, a person the episode hasn't gone up but basically it's like sell egg for chocolate and coffee and one of the things that we're talking about is it if if it costs less basically if businesses the the chain had slaves essentially touching cocoa and coffee products and what their 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 process like obviously nothing like that happens and it eliminates it but um when you have two businesses one who can offer the price of a premium product for like a dollar less because they use something like that and one that doesn't like the, the doesn't one it usually is going to lose unless they have like really great marketing yeah. or you have people who will they were telling me that they the people there are people who will be found out that they're doing that they'll be closed down but then they'll open up under a new title um so it's if, if there are if the incentives allow egregious things like slavery to happen, they'll just keep doing it like you have to like disincentivize it. I, I personally think that anything that is at all remotely touched by that type of stuff should be completely outlawed and we should find a way to like lift those people up. Um, but uh, but the, the point is by incentivizing it so that people who want to do the good thing can do the good thing and take care of the family at the same time. That just sounds that sounds like a win win all, all across the board. And at the same yeah. time, yeah, that's a great partner. Twenty years uh, losing, like it's not like these guys a work for, for the World
1: Wildlife Fund. Like they're yeah. amazing. Like this whole project started with them. So when I met them, they had interviewed seven environmental organizations, all of whom wanted to work with them. None of which paid them a dollar, like for twenty years. So our project started because I was like, I can pay your dollar. They're like, oh, yeah, how? And I was like, here, I'm going to send it on my laptop over the satellite internet. I'm sitting by and it showed up in their account. And they were like, Sold. let's start a company. I Um, I mean, there was a bit more to it. I I had to pass the ethical test um, definitely with them. But yeah, so fair trade is is simple in that um, there's a few economic changes you make. Um, And one of them is North Americans can handle not getting money for a while. Like, if I don't get paid for a month or so, not a big deal, I'll probably be okay. Um, They can't. Like, subsistence farmers live very much, like, in the day-to-day. They live in much shortened economic time frames. And so to wait until you can sell your carbon credits, which is, like, three years to a year, is too long. They're never going to be able to do that. So um, our fair trade is we pay them an advanced micropayment, which almost nobody Hmm. in the industry does.
0: And is it like a is it kind of like amateurized? So every month is just a percentage of what it would be in three years?
1: Yeah, we base the micropayment on their current living wage, which is not that high. Um, we on how much did it costs them to log. So if they were a log industry, they get paid um a certain amount and we pay them 15% more not to log. We could go a lot mm. higher, but we chose not to because we wanted them to make a choice. Yeah. So. Um, we try to make it not too attractive at the beginning. And we also don't talk a lot about future payments. We like never talk about future payments. We just talk about this month. And then we were really, really, um, we're really bullish about getting the money in the account this month. And so that's one of the reasons we're scaling on the ground so fast. We're doubling in size every three months.
2: What?
0: Um, so there's like so many things that I'm curious about and what you've said just in the last two minutes. So for, first, why weren't they able to get paid? Why didn't the previous good people pay them at all? Cause like, is there, was there like <laughs> a structural thing that stopped them? Uh,
1: this is not going to be popular, but so way too many environmental and nonprofit organizations, um, they get white people paid to come here and take videos and show their friends mm-hmm. that they're saving the Amazon, but they don't actually land money on the ground. Like mm-hmm. way too much of the environmental money gets lost, uh, in the middlemen who are capturing the money. And I could give names for that, but I don't want, you know, that's not productive. Um, That's part of it. The other part of it is so many of these organizations, especially if they're high level, like UN Habitat, they have to go through public institutions. So they have to go through the local government or the central government, which in many countries like the Congo, Brazil and Colombia have long and illustrious histories of corruption. So in Mm -hmm. most of those cases, the money, even if it was deployed to the country with the right intentions, um, and with very little margin, doesn't make it back up the road to the jungle.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because that's one thing that really bothers me about nonprofits is that when you actually look into it, there's very, there's like the, I think it's the the pink ribbon NFL breast cancer one, only like 2%, 2% actually goes to breast cancer research. Yeah. And like what are you doing? You can't like donate, you know, like there's so many people that'll donate their salaries and stuff in terms of like not getting comped for stuff. And yeah. it only still ends up to being 2%, or two, it's like 3%. It's like nothing.
1: Yeah. So we're a B Corp and I would love to hire nonprofit staff because there's a lot of work on that end. Um, but the, so we have a 501 C3 and we have the for-profit and we stop hmm. the five. We, we don't take anything from the 501 C3 right now. It's subsidized by the for-profit um, that might change if it got bigger and there was a lot more accounting to do, but right now it's small enough that um, we just put some of the staff on it. And then we just run funds through there. We, we the nice thing about being a B Corp and I, I want to put in a plug for our investors, um, is that we legally can take investment and still do good projects. Like we can do like mm-hmm. holistic good, social good. Like they, they asked me for a women's shelter and we waited for a while. We got a lot of community input before we decided what to do. But five matriarchs came to me independently over the course of a year and said, we want a women's shelter. So um, we decided that's our first project. So that's out right now. And the, the B Corp was handling that, but we we consider it synergistic. Like, um, the for-profit can side can always handle everything that concerns them. But mm-hmm. um, we can do stuff like we we have to do a nursery for seedlings. And uh so we're actually gonna um gonna ask the women in the community who have small children at home to grow the seedlings. So we, we can get creative about what helps and what doesn't.
0: Yeah. And you could have them like name the trees or something so the kids can like it could be a part of their like future where it's like, oh, that's not the, the trees I, I planted. Like-
1: yeah, like I'm kind of excited actually, because I think we might do a better job with the distributed seedling. Because some of our some of the other ma- major nonprofits in this area have like huge like warehouses and institutions and scientists growers, and that might be necessary. But I also kind of think there's so many different species of trees. There's so little known about how to grow them that having a, a distributed seedling network might be more interesting because they might be able to cultivate stuff that we don't know how to cultivate.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to your uh, your original interest in ethnobotany. Like, having, like you don't know what they'll bring to the table. You're like, oh, you see this tree before? It's like, nope.
1: Give yeah. me something new. One of the things I love about working here, so this region has had psychedelics for 5,000 years. That's a big part of the culture. And say what you will about psychedelics, there's tons of research evidence that it changes uh, neurological wiring. Yeah. And so um, hyper-intelligent, hyper-creative people, like... They're some of the best um, innovators I've ever worked with. And I love doing business with them because they're so like interesting when they, when they get going on a problem, like it, it it's better than Silicon Valley. And I never thought I would say that.
0: Mm. That's interesting. I, I want to, I've been looking for places to explore and Amazon, the Amazon and Alaska are the only places where it doesn't feel like the map's been drawn in. Like you actually can turn a corner and maybe see something for the first time that only maybe like, like people have never seen before.
2: Oh, my God. We had
1: this huge argument for a week about the snake. There's like there are species here that nobody's ever seen all like all over the place. Like I talk Mm. to scientists every day where I beg them to come help me identify species because we're trying to do biodiversity credit and to sell the credit. We have to know what the species is. And then there's just constant like academic dog fights. And the indigenous guys are like, dude, these guys haven't been here. They're reading this out of a book. Of course, they don't know what they're talking about. And the mm. academic guys are like that doesn't exist and like i can't count the number of times so we actually have a spreadsheet and like we figure out which species everybody agrees exists like a jaguar and a tapir mm. and then we have like a whole list of species that people just cannot figure out
0: that's maybe you need like some uh some amateur people or uh like someone who's developed like a machine learning algorithm so you can take a pic there's this great i, forget, I think it's called i nature or something i'll have to double check this but it's a website where people take pictures of animals and then they can say, hey, I think this is like a, a, a horned bird wobbler or something, some type of like bird. And then everyone else can be like, no, that's this type of uh, of bird. And then they they like uh, crowdsource the truth of what the animal is. And then it geotags where they're taking the pictures of. So if you're like you're into birds or any type of an- like they have insects and stuff, too. You can. So I use this to decide on where I'm going to go with like hiking and stuff. It's like, oh, what type of birds like can I see and stuff? And so you can see like, oh, there's a bunch of birds. There's like a nest of birds over here. Of this type of species using this map but then it's been corroborated through the crowdsource of, of people we validating
1: that i don't know if i would work because there's so many of the species yeah. are rare so we've mm-hmm. actually gone the other route. we've gotten like i have an autistic person and a quantum physicist that are helping us with the snakes they're both amateur okay. biologists but they happen to be like um but even they don't always stand up to the indigenous guys um so, there's a lot of debates. It's, it's been, I will say that part's fun. One of the things we wanted to do with our ecotourism program is bring people with skills. So, hmm. I was like, why don't we, instead of bringing you tourists, why don't we bring you like amateur biologists or like entomologists or people who could like help you with drone scans or like, so I, I'm, we're gonna do like an application only because I think personally, this is like the experience of a lifetime if you're a scientist. So we're yeah, going to do a- application fun. on the ecotourism program or like, if you have um, the ability to help identify species or like uh, help them with land rights or anthropology, like we have an indigenous group right now with a unique language and I don't think it's ever been documented stuff like that. So mm. it's like brain candy for scientists, but also like they, they're pretty good hosts. I will, I'm going to give them that. They, they know how to, they know how to put you up.
0: The indigenous people.
1: Yeah, it's a very comfortable part of the Amazon. Like this, this is the source of the Amazon River. And so it's clean, mm-hmm. not a lot of mosquitoes. It's really comfortable. I've been in different parts of the Amazon before and it wasn't as comfortable. Mm.
0: Yeah, the Amazon scares me because there's so many, I don't know, like I I don't know. I just feel like there's probably lots of stuff there that want to eat me. But at the same time, yes. it's kind of fun.
1: Yes. There's I so if I, so it's application only, we're gonna have a really we're gonna have like a top moder waiver.
0: Like you yeah. could
1: die here if you're okay with that. Come visit. Uh, so I've been talking to some like military <laughs> athletes and like some top motor mm-hmm. people, and they're like, "Oh, I really want to do that." We're actually going to do like an athleticism one because I I I just saw a semi pro trail runner and a semi pro r- rugby player totally die on just a day hike with the. So it, they just call it camming like camming not- under walking, but it's like a full body like activity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they are really good at keeping an eye on you. But people who come here, I have seen people come here and they're like, well, this just looks green to me. And I'm like, it's not green. Just listen to what they're telling you. Like, they'll keep an eye out for you, but you got to believe that you're maybe you're missing something.
0: Yeah. If I'm in someone else's house, I I don't open up their fridge without asking. So if I'm like in someone else's country in someone else's, uh, you know, a forest, I'm not I'm not doing anything like is this cool to step on this type of uh, bark, you know? I mean it's also not flat either it's, it's quite mountainous too right like it's not like a flat hike no I, I was doing i was Got hiking cur- with
1: johnny <laughs> yeah i was in a cliff we we were he, he walked up to a cliff and he's like uh, he's I was like where are we gonna go he's like up and i was like okay so then i was like so he starts to climb up and i was like okay i can do this so i started following him and about halfway up sheer rock wall nowhere to go I was like oh this is not good and then he goes we're gonna go left now and I was like so we're like hiking through you know across the middle of this cliff and then he's like at one point I've got one hand on a tree the other hand uh two feet dangling in the air about 100 feet over this rocky creek bed and then he looks down and he gives me his hand he's like here hold my hand <laughs> so, it was like this moment where I was like this totally for me defines the project like and mm-hmm. we, we totally were fine like he knew the he knew the way and we went and he he saw it i didn't and I just saw a sheer cliff and uh so that hmm. that's kind of like how the experience that's how it's been with me like I've always felt very safe with them, but it's often a leap, leap of faith,
0: yeah, well, I think that it it sounds it definitely sounds like something that people would be up for, you know like people you know people who have an interest and in going out there and maybe they discover something new maybe they help out people but even in just going they can be part of eco ecotourism part of a car- uh, carbon uh credit program maybe they help like plant some seedlings and stuff and then you update online there's this great there's this great uh YouTube uh I watch YouTube videos at 2 times speed while reading things so like I get like ha- which is not smart uh, you know you're, you're no, not paying I love attention it. to I, I do that I did that
1: too multi channel keep going
0: yes yeah uh they have they do rewilding rewilding and they're doing like iceland and scotland and they when you when you donate they'll show you where your trees are and they'll show you where they're adding links is in and stuff like that so that that social component of they even have like updates where they like once a quarter they'll walk through like hey this how we're spending all your money and stuff like that which i really like because it's just like any open any open source sense of accounting is great because it's like how do you how do you trust the watchman type of thing and it like, if there's an independent body, some type of like blockchain or something, like you can kind of tell. Thank um, you. That's, I love so that. Them. That
1: is our whole mission. So, we are in former FERC territory. This area is underexplored for a reason. It's because there was a three way civil war for a long time. It's been peaceful for a while. And uh, these guys have always been peaceful, kind of independent in it. But um, they, the reputation has has hurt them in a lot of ways and despite their like intense activism and and beautiful area like so what we we decided to do to help them was to um, basically make trustless protocols so we have satellite monitoring Mm. they can do drone scans Uh, we are our our system should be out i think in the next couple of months and that you match the farmer with the tree so you buy your carbon credit you know which pharma came from you know where it's at in the certification pipeline it's totally like, unfortunately, we're not there yet. But in our databases, we know exactly who, which farmer, which tree, which credit, how old, when it was planted. Um, and then we actually want to match people with biodiversity credits. I'm obsessed with this. I want to do like magic cards.
2: Hmm. So
1: you can like buy a, a biodiversity credit and see which farmer, w- where the photo was taken. And then, um, yeah, that's that's what I'm really excited about.
0: It sounds like I was recently interviewing a guy who um, is like Escape City. It's basically, uh, he has a, uh, like a Google map of an area and people share special locations that people don't know exist. But then when you go to visit it and you validate that it's an actual location, it makes the token. And so the person who took the picture and the person who validated, they both get like a credit or something. Well, I think like scouts get the credit who make the, who discern things and the people who go out there and validate it, they get something too. But like the, the blockchain, like thumbprint is made when, when, when both come together to validate a a point geographically in a location it's really cool it sounds kind of similar to that that.
1: no we could totally do that with our app because we were doing we were going to do like a almost like a magic card game where people wouldn't came because for instance they have like 11 different archaeological rocks with like ancient symbols here on this guy's farm like he's just on his farm Mm. and you know his backyard he opens up his little shed and it's got like all this ancient like gold hieroglyphic stuff like it's crazy um, hmm. and so that, and he takes you out back to his, his rock and they protected it. They're so amazing. I love them. They have like a stand, so you can't sit on the rock and you can look at the rock, but I thought it'd be fun to like, do like a top motor challenge where you're like, how many rocks did you make it to? And it's like, you know, were you able to get a capture again, a Jaguar on game camera or something like that, but we could totally geocode that. would be kind of fun.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it looked,
0: it, it was just a, it was, it was a very novel way of doing it. Normally it's like, it happens when the computer, um you know you buy something and then the 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 blockchain i haven't built a blockchain but i think normally it just happens like digitally which is kind of interesting that you can do it physically using the fact that someone comes out and validates the token and then it makes like a like a uh you can actually see how, how often people are visiting and have like a heat map of where people are going and stuff like that it's like it's pretty interesting technology but um I don't know how complex it is, but if you have. No, that's, orders, we're I guess. already
1: doing that anyway for a validation. So right now, yeah. um, so in order, you asked me how it worked and this is how it works. They, they we only work with private landowners, so they have to own title to their land. Um, hmm. Right now we're adding in the ability to work with collectives soon. But uh, so they they own title to the land. We put the geocodes in. We validate the land rates. And after that, everything's satellite. So we give them uh, panos, like an iPhone pano. Uh, we send out a validator and they take a, a pano of the jungle. And then that is compared with machine learning to a data set of primary, secondary forest. And then we randomize the pano. So they go out, they take the pano once a month. And if the forest is intact, they get paid automatically, if that makes okay. sense.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a validation over a period of time. Yeah, basically, so it's like they
2: it's could do it once. With
1: validation like uh it's a little bit like Google Street view it's a combination between Uber and Google Street view for the jungle so mm. as long as the jungle's there and uh somebody is there with a cell phone once a month they're paid and we pay them directly into an international bank account no middleman so
0: mm. and do, do you validate that the trees are the same it's not like they I don't know I guess yeah, as long the, as you the have the location, is fine.
1: it's fine. Like counting a yeah. tree or in, satellite monitoring is pretty good, but it's hard to get under the canopy with it. But um, yeah. well, the best is drone lidar, which like you put a drone up. It's an $80,000 drone and we can't afford one right now. So this is our way to come. I'm
0: very excited for that. that. Yeah. yeah. LIDAR is pretty cool. They keep discovering giant cities in the Amazon.
1: It does with not LIDAR? surprise me. These guys know about a lot more than they're willing to talk about. Which I don't yeah. blame them. They're I love that they keep coy about what's here um it, i i consider this place like avatar like um you are invite like they invite people to come but they also have to leave like it's an autonomous nation they don't want people buying land here like you're allowed to visit but you're not allowed to stay and um i respect that a lot yeah
0: mm. is it do, so is it like how native americans or is it indigenous people in south america have like um reservations like in north america or do they how does it how does that how do they, do they actually history. own their land
1: yeah this is okay. alternative history and, and Nathan, i don't know if you've ever read bury my heart at Windney, which i think everybody who lives in north america should read at least once i think it. i watched it's the movie yeah it's like List. List it's tough. but um basically in north america um smallpox and other Damn. diseases killed the population in in some cases intentionally so um, and then and then followed by warfare and the decimation of the buffalo, like just widespread systematic killing of like the food source, the combination of the three things were really, really tough um, on the population. And so the population, the indigenous population of North America that was there at, at first contact, I shouldn't say first contact, but that was there in Columbus and all those guys showed up um, is is nothing what it is today. And so this this group, this population, the one I work with, they were never colonized. Like the Spanish Mm. conquistadors came here, but they couldn't make it into the Amazon. And so the the area, the culture, the tribes, like this is a very powerful group. This is alternative history. Like if uh, white settlers had lost the war in North America, what would North America look like? It would be full of animals. Mm. It would have a lot of trees and it would be um, still operating under indigenous values and indigenous governance. And that's what happens here.
2: Okay. Yeah. There's a. That's really interesting. it's cool that
0: uh, you know, like things could go differently because um, there's a there was a, a conquistador I think that was going up the Amazon and he was writing these stories about how there's like these like fifty thousand to hundred thousand to a million population cities when he was going up the Amazon, yeah. but then a new uh like five years later someone comes and they're like where are these cities that you talked about? And it's like well he like the plague he brought like plagues and stuff. And so by the time that the five years later they're all gone and it's and i think that the i think they use like pictograms and stuff for writing in in uh south america but for the most part like there really 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 wasn't that much uh written like stuff written down so we can't like go back like kind of like with the sumerians they had things in clay so when they burn a house down it's like clay just gets better when you when you set on a fire.
1: We can see architecture that in many mm-hmm. ways like I don't know if you've seen people trying to put a credit card between some of the massive stones yeah. like in the building and this. like uh there's like a lot of the architecture there was languages they were different um here what I think is really interesting about here so if you go to the Columbia Gold Museum where they collect a lot of the artifacts um there's great information about Columbia there but uh they were they they were smelting platinum when Europeans were so their technological metalworking was really advanced i think one thing that we really discount is the plant knowledge here so you know the idea is that they didn't have didn't develop technology but i think they actually just developed biological technology and i think that's yeah. the real value of learning to do business with with these groups more fluidly and according to their values is if we treat them well they will share that technology
2: with us mm-hmm. is and that's there, where it uh... comes in yeah
0: Is that a part of your vision as you help these people transition off of being forced to deforest just to sustain themselves do you eventually hope to have like an ecosystem of kind of like reciprocity where like investments coming in they build out better systems for themselves and then they feel more comfortable coming onto the world stage with a foundation where they can share what they've built over the years
1: that was their idea so i would like Mm -hmm. to say that any of this was my idea what they asked me for was a learning center they want to document mm. their tribal knowledge. They're afraid it'll get lost. So they yeah. want to document their tribal knowledge using our systems, but they want control over the information, which I fully understand. Um, anybody that's involved with adenobotany in for any length of time. So I grew up in central Idaho where tamoxifen was discovered. Um, so, and when they discovered tamoxifen, the first thing they did was walk into the primitive area and mow down all the yew trees. And the indigenous groups at the time in that area did not have enough um. They didn't have enough control over the area to stop it from happening, so it was tamoxifen? just it was just a gold rush for yew trees. And about ten years later, they discovered how to synthesize it. So what is it, One of our best cancer drugs. It's one of breast cancer's oh, okay. go-to drugs, and it, it was originally synthesized from the bark of yew trees. And unfortunately, the only way to get it was to go cut a yew tree down, skin the bark off of it, and it was just awful. What it did to the ecosystem Mm -hmm. where I was at. So I saw that firsthand. And I think that's my main motivation for being here is yes, biological knowledge can save lives. And yes, it's beautiful. But there needs to be, in order for groups to be able to share that knowledge, they have to have the ability to protect the ecosystem first.
0: Yeah. And And then we might just have to wait
1: an extra 10 years and synthesize what we find. So, and Mm -hmm. also these groups, the ones in Idaho, they I don't think, I don't believe, as far as I know, the 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 license for that went to the pharma company. Like the indigenous tribe, all that hereditary knowledge, it did not go to the, to the tribe. So I believe in both licensing knowledge for indigenous tribes and then collecting or setting up collective payment structures so that everybody can get paid, not just one person. And then also um, protecting the ecosystems prior to any transmission of, of plant knowledge.
0: Mm. Well, I, I definitely support that mission. I think that the I think for a long time we were uh, a civilization of steel and metal and I, I like that we're moving more towards a civilization that is uh, when some pockets at least are trying to be more in balance because I can imagine like I don't know if you ever see Star Wars but there's like an entire planet called Coruscant that's just all metal it's like that like like every time I see it, it's like oh that's t- so crappy like concrete's not a dro- Like concrete does, like Absorbs heat uh, differently than other materials. So, like in Chicago, for instance, it's going to be hotter just because you're in the concrete jungle. I
2: know.
0: Yeah, just terrible materials, like all these different things. And there's um,
1: all kinds of biological cues that the human body needs to stay healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's literally like a 30, 30, 33 or something like that, where it's like within 30 feet, you have to see foliage or something like that with like and you have to be like 200 feet from a park or you start getting like stir crazy and stuff there's actually like they've yeah. they've tried to like data science it together but i think another benefit of what you're doing is that the you can have the rights to land you can have uh money flowing but if you do if you if you discover let's say gold um and people want that gold and you don't have the ability to defend it you know like financially and stuff they'll yeah. just run you over and yeah. so i think I think it's one of the big things that I was missing about people like the Native American groups in the North um, or the people who were called Native Americans in North America um, is that they never really had the financial ability to fight back. So every time they'd sign a deal, it's like, okay, we have a deal. Now you have to adhere to it. They would just run them over the next time they wanted something because yeah. they didn't have the the ability to draw people's interest and, and push them out. So I see that that's another benefit here where you're, you're empowering these people, you're raising them up and you're raising them up with them doing the things that they want, they actually want to be doing. And in so doing, um, you're making them, it seems like I think they'd be more confident. It sounds like they're very engaging with you saying like, hey, this is what we want. And and you're not just like saying, well, this is what I want, what we're going to do. It it sounds pretty cool that you're actively listening to what they want and building accordingly.
1: Well, they're my bosses. Like I I started this because I thought they had a good idea and I thought I was a good cultural translator. And I also know where the loopholes are in Western society. Like I know about dials and other technology. I know how to use satellites. And so I know how to get them what they want. As an advocate, I I really see the power, the power and the resources here is residing with with these guys. Um, Yeah, so we have three founders at our company and two of them are indigenous from this region. One is a medicine doctor. Mm. Um, And we make all decisions uh, as a group. Um, I'm the one that speaks English and so I'm the one that ends up on the podcast, but uh, these aren't my ideas. I'm just Mm -hmm. really good at at explaining it in a way because, you know, I think my life experience is unique, so... Um, it, it helps a lot, and we we are all in agreement that what all that really matters right now is preserving as much nature as we can, and having that shared value um, really cuts across a lot of cultural boundaries. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I-, I will say there's something called naturalist intelligence. So uh, Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Mm-hmm. Do you know that?
0: Uh, multiple th- I've been reading about Michael Levin who's been looking at morpho space and how uh, cells have a type of intelligence all the way down to like the cell level in terms of how they they orientate themselves. But I think that might be a different type of thing you're referring to. I'm
1: talking about like human intelligence, but there's a theory of multiple intelligences, which is that um, like there's logical mathematical- Oh, with animals? Yeah, yeah. So like- Where they they, they
0: communicate with- Where
2: they Um, communicate?
1: This is just in the human, this is human, but I guess that's kind of like- Oh, okay. Xenocentric, is that a word? I guess ethnocentric a lot, but I think it's like a- yeah, I guess it shouldn't be so species centric, but it's for human intelligence. You, uh, okay. They say we usually prize lot logical mathematical intelligence. So we say that somebody's smart, we mean that they're good at math and numbers, hmm. um, but there's evidence that there's nine types really. And um, so it's like aesthetic intelligence or visual uh, musical intelligence, kinesthetic, the ability to move your body in space, like world champion yogis. Um, anyway, there's something called naturalist intelligence. Which hmm. is not well prized in the Western world, um, but it's the ability to see patterns and natural objects. So like Darwin had this.
2: Hmm.
1: And what's interesting to me is that we've we've prized logical mathematical intelligence, metal, steel structures, but we haven't prized the ability to work with nature. And in indigenous groups, that's the most important intelligence. Like, how many species can you identify? Like Johnny is like the, the coolest guy because he can identify all the trees and he uses his tongue to do it like he chops the tree and then tastes it so he's using mm. like chemical signals and anyway so with, i think if we valued that more we would have we would recognize more how smart these guys are with biology and because we don't we and i don't think we value it well in our mathematics either like if you look at chaos theory and complexity theory that mathematics can can work with nature But most of the math and science that we use is so linear, like it's not capable of of seeing patterns in complex data, like a rainforest. And so I Mm. I feel like if we really like upped our game a bit, we use a different lens. We really be seeing, oh my god, this is worth doing. Like bacteria can degrade nuclear waste; it can do amazing stuff. Like I know that we always whine about it with COVID, but like we could put it to work for us in many, many, many ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was recently talking with George Church. And we were talking about how uh, uh, we have there's a there's a shared interest in using biology to build things. So like instead of having to build a phone with all the parts coming together, you could create a biolog- a bi- biological system that would, that would generate a a, a phone like system that you could use. Yes. Or Thank yes, it's so like really cool. It's really yeah. like uh one one that I'm really interested in, especially because like Flint, Michigan, and you know just anything basic on the pyramid of like the hierarchy of needs, needs for Maslow um you know like safety drinking water air etc um i think those are really critical ones but like uh so you could build a system that uses biology to clean water and let you know how clean the water is at the same time like in poland for instance they have they use clamps and some of their water plants to tell based on how they open and close if the water is clean then they have to like do more systems. Yeah. Stuff. Why
1: don't we do more stuff like that? Like the best way to pull carbon out of the atmosphere is plants and allergies. And we're still trying to make chemical stacks to do it. It's like, no, just like work with what you got. Like what somebody said me the other day is like trees have already been invented. Like why, why are we putting a ton of money into carbon, you know, chemical carbon storage when we could just be like replacing more of our technology with trees and then we're done. Like it's yeah. So I'll give you an example of, of just a very ethnocentric view of, of biology. So, um, and I have his permission to tell you this, but like, uh, everybody in the U S knows what ayahuasca is mostly right now. Um, and you talk to them and they will tell you, Oh, ayahuasca and yahoo are the same thing. And I just asked the shaman, he's like, God, no, he's like, there, there are seven formulations of this plant and they can be recombined 40, 45 different ways. And he's like, and I know every single one of them. And uh, mm-hmm. they each give you a different psychedelic experience. And he's like, but I'm very careful about which one I give people based on their life history. It's clinical, you know? And I was like, man, you know, somebody goes on a weekend vendor in the U S and they think they've had this experience, but they just have no idea of the science that's behind it and how complicated mm-hmm. it is. So I just think that we, even when we're, we're saying we respect them, we're really, we really don't know what we're missing.
0: Yeah. I think the maybe one of the issues is that a lot of the people like Bill Gates, for instance, he's more of like a mathematical guy. It's like, this is an entirely different way of viewing the world that maybe it would take some, some work on his part to even appreciate it. Like the people who are investing in the technology are doing it from the way that they've been successful. Yeah. Which isn't, yeah. I don't know yeah, exactly. uh, if we have naturalist, naturalist-based intelligent people in um, Silicon Valley or, or, or elsewhere that have been successful in a way that people don't know about.
1: Sometimes, but I will say one of the reasons we get along so well is because I grew up off the grid. So I mm-hmm. I had a lot of senses that weren't shut off. Like if you're living in the urban center, you turn down your sense of hearing, your sense of smell, um, and your sense of like people are really overstimulated and they don't realize it. So like these guys are yeah. hypersensitive to smells, sounds, everything um and so i don't even know if you could acquire it like like you you've actually most people have down regulated their senses to the point where when they're in the na- nature they're like oh it's so quiet there's nothing to see it's really boring like i only see green i hear that a lot with visitors
2: that's um, interesting. and
1: these guys are like oh my god did you see this did you see that did you see that and it's you know it takes me a lot to so that's why i think that it'd be a super cool ecotourism offering is because with them as guides you can actually see something um mm. yeah
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You, you, you just put to words a phenomenon that I've been experiencing with a lot of my friends when we go on hikes. Some, some of them are like, wow, it's so quiet. There's nothing going on. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, like, can't you hear like the stuff going on? Like you hear the like three different types of birds and like, but it's like, it's usually like a spectrum. Like some of them, uh, you know, aren't getting it. And then like over time, they slowly start to get it. I wonder if you could deliberately cut off senses as you do the tourism, as it goes from like safe to like not safe or whatever but uh so like as they first go in like you make them deaf so they only have their eyes and their and their smell and stuff and then you slowly give them different, yeah like slowly like attune them to the sense as they go through the different spot like all right now we're gonna make you blind and deaf and you're only gonna smell and you're gonna go to this really like it's gonna smell really good and so you can slowly build that muscle and then you have the aha moment where you see the village or the the really beautiful spot that you've uh, built with the farmers and then it's like it's kind of like um, the, I don't know. I picture the scene in Fallout when you first get out of the 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 uh, the the dungeon thing that you were born into, and you see all of the Fallout universe, and it's kind of like this aha moment. Or I guess it's the Hallelujah Mountain moment when they they go into Avatar and you see the mountains open up. But if you like, I think if you could selectively build it up because over the course of like a day to a couple days, if you're blind, your your ears and everything else will start compensating. So, you I might be able to like, we could probably do it. that
1: for somebody who was totally deaf. Usually, most people, if you, if you leave them here for a week, by the end of the week, so hmm. they're getting REM sleep for the first time in their life. They're seeing stars for the first time ever. Like, all of their senses are coming online and they'll be like, super, like, oh my God. And then they go back to wherever they're at and they're like, I can't handle it, the noise. You know, and I'm like, well, that's why these guys don't visit you in the city. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, most people's senses will naturally come back online, but a lot of them have never had that experience no. before one thing i do see people are often digitally hyper stimulated when they come here and they're out of cell service like they'll go nuts for a bit it's like detoxing
0: Thanks. yeah i worry about electronics i also miss stars i have to like go pretty far into the country to see stars again it's really sad because they're yeah. so beautiful yeah but then i you know i see like three stars when i look up and if i go outside it's like yeah. i know there's so many more that i'm missing out on it's really cool i'm, I'm a bit jealous that you get to do this every day You just that's yeah, see really- why you didn't leave
1: I do get my ass kicked frequently. I will tell you, like, I mean, I'm the mm. stupidest, slowest person around here. I all day, every day, but it's it's a good feeling.
2: No, it pushes they, you. They
1: started to appreciate that what I brought, so I think that's why it'd be kind of cool to bring in skilled people. So many people that end up here, you know, they're not necessarily coming to offer anything. But when these guys see you come with a skill, like, uh, I think we brought drone, we, we brought somebody who was a drone expert and they, they had the right attitude. So they weren't like, I'm going to come here and show you my amazing technological skill. They're like, here's the drone. Here's how you fly it. Like you guys can fly it. And then they left the drone behind. And then these guys were flying the drone around the next day. Of course, you got it on YouTube. I think it's pretty cute. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, they're totally capable of adopting it. And if it's useful, they're interested in people bringing them the skills. And um, like, I've seen them pick up GPS and cell phones and everything. There's an ethical issue when it comes to sharing skills. Like I'm basically contaminating the culture by sharing the skills. Um, mm. And I think about that a lot, like how much of the culture am I hurting um, when I give somebody a cell phone? But I, I also worry, I also think about like their ability to advocate and protect their Region and this is what they ask for. So I'm, I'm careful to discuss before I introduce any new technology or skill or anything with the leaders, like the elders, to see if they want it in the community.
0: Yeah, I think the in, in America there's a there's like a litmus test for when you're allowed to uh, to give advertisements to different age groups, and it's usually the the cutoff if you if you look underneath the hood for like when the threshold is met for when you can give people advertisement it's when the individual can tell that they're being sold on something oh. Like the, so as, so as long as they understand the underlining logic like if someone's selling me on something i'm getting the cell phone for this purpose etc as long as they can understand that and they have the the premise to it then they can engage with the content pretty easily
1: that's interesting I, I do a lot of educating the, the yeah. leaders are pretty good at because a lot of the shaman have traveled internationally. They've been to Australia, Europe, Bogota, mm-hmm. like they've been all over. And one of their jobs in this community is gatekeeping the community, like keeping out mm-hmm. stuff that shouldn't be here. And so to do that effectively, they have to code switch. So they're very good at like, um they can interface with outsiders, but they can keep the walls up. If it, uh, my, my friend who's an anthropologist called it windows and walls. Like, he, so mm-hmm. you want to, you in order to preserve a culture, you want to like be able to have an interchange, like, you know, an exchange but you want to keep the walls up to keep the culture safe so the shaman keep the walls up so whenever i want to like introduce something i tell them about it first we do Mm -hmm. about educating pros and cons as much as possible obviously nobody's perfect and i'm not perfect certainly as a cultural liaison but and then together we decide whether or not it's going to come in so and the best thing about this is other areas of the amazon and latin america have been very much economic colonialism so when the tourists first started showing up you know they they bought all the land and then when new tourists come it's tourists selling renting to tourists and the locals Mm. aren't getting anything and in a lot of cases it destroyed ecosystems so that tourism can be really tough what's interesting about this place is because of uh, you know, the the violence and stuff, this area is pretty closed off. So we can yeah. now that they want to open the borders a little bit, we can look around at what went right, what went wrong and cherry pick mm-hmm. based on the, the cases like what they do and don't want. So we're setting yeah. up like a, a we're getting the communities together to set a, a standard that they're going to make. And then we're going to use this DAO thing probably to administer a trust so that when people come in, they have to pay a small tariff. And they're going to yeah. use that for the medical care and road improvement and whatever else they want
0: so. yeah that makes sense uh, what um what will be so what all do you have in place today so you're you're shifting out what's going to be coming in what all have because we talked about some of the programs are already going what all is um actually in place versus aspirational for like 2023 for instance
1: yeah so we started piloting the ecotourism program that's going on this month um cool. and i've i've been i've been doing interviews for people to come so we've got like a list of people who could be approved like because they need resources they need species identification anthropologists uh i'd like to get an ethicist they've asked for an english teacher to come in and teach in the local town a few things so they gave me a list of skills they want and then we're interviewing ecotourists to come and they can stay for one week so that's going on right now um our carbon credit certification is almost done to be done this week i think and then mm-hmm. that goes to an independent international certifier. I'm also enrolled in an incubator. And I don't know if I can say who's involved. I think I can say it's Google-funded incubator mm-hmm. to define and transact a biodiversity credit in six months. And I'm there with a bunch of market makers, like internationally, international markets and certifying bodies. And we're going to be a prototype project for them. So that's in the works. Um, I've been negotiating export of chontaduro, which is an agro-biodiversity crop. We've been planting Tronto Duro. So um because we're looking Toronto. at reforesting and trying to get them to replace their cows. And so we're looking at local crops that could be exported for a slightly higher value. Uh, what else is going on? Sorry, there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. What is uh just as a quick aside, what is Tronto tra- Tronto duro? What is it like? What does it yeah, taste it's like,
1: like a palm nut? Oh, my God, I, I love this food. So I asked them to figure out what food they wanted to grow. So mm. I love doing stuff like that because it's like, you know, it, it ticks all the, you know, ethical boxes, yeah. but also they come off with the craziest stuff. So they were like, we want to grow a and they were like, it's, you know, it's healthy. It's a superfood, blah, blah, blah. So we looked into it and it's amazing. It's gluten-free. It has a sweet flavor and it's nutty. So it's like a squash mm. and you can turn it into a flour. So you could like use it in gluten-free baking, but it has a better consistency than like rice flour. That's but, interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I could I uh guess I don't word know word. if it oh okay the uh, for you we were talking about
0: uh psychedelics I was talking to Bram Rector he, he he was on the podcast a, a week ago he's a like the first BC fund for psychedelics and yeah. we were talking about like all the different like uh places in Mexico that they're building for people to go and get treatment and with with professionals I wonder what uh if that could be something like uh not like a tourism or ecotourism tourism but like uh with these people like the shamans with all this deep knowledge to have people come in and potentially like have that wisdom to help them heal like with research applied to oh no they've been
1: doing psychedelic tours here for 15 20 years in fact they piloted it uh, depending on who you ask but they they said that it was their idea to run psychedelic tours in Colombia. they've had people here from everywhere from like european pop stars to european royalty latin american pop stars you know european government officials so that's where they know how to host the ecotourism is to extend that beyond the shaman um, cause that's very tightly controlled. Like they have a certifying, like the way the doctors in the U S like they have to train for, uh, they're not considered full shaman here until they've been delivering psychedelics as a shaman for 40 years. Wow. Yeah. So they have a, and then they're all certified. They have to like apprentice it, it's hardcore. So, um, what we get in the U S is very much not the professional, traditional. So they will give psychedelics to anybody. What they wanted to do was bring in ecotourists and give them the option of psychedelics, but also the option to come and just see the biodiversity, so that more people mm-hmm. in the community could can, could have their activities supported.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're just worried about the
1: cows creeping up the road. <laughs> so they're like, if we could <laughs> like creep the cows back down the road, and you know, obviously, not everybody who might want to come visit is going to want to do psychedelics. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it also might help with uh, like the like the change blindness of being in a city and being oversensitized. From what I understand, I haven't taken any psychedelics. I'm afraid they'll break my brain. But uh, I, I'm told that it really opens your mind to things that you've been ignoring. So that might be like, you can have people come over and you, you have them trip. And then <laughs> and then you show them the world. That might I be didn't take any until I was 40. I was
1: also afraid it would break my brain. I, I love my brain and I didn't want to mess it up. But actually, yeah. I, I will say as somebody who is pretty worried about it, my direct experience was that it wasn't very different from very intense yoga, which I did a lot of, um, or meditation. Hmm. And then I also found that it was while it was very good at getting rid of trauma. So like neural neural ruts in the brain, I don't know how much you know about the neurology of trauma, but, um, it basically is like, a you, you
0: can reaction. really scan it.
1: Yeah. yeah you, so you can it, scan
0: trauma and the brain, you can see it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really good at that. You can think of trauma as like a clot on the brain. That's one yeah. way to think about it, but what it's really good at is breaking that up. Um, mm. So, and all it does is restore greater function. So instead of like you're going along, and instead of getting kind of like turned off by a trauma, y- you have more fluidity in how you act, more choice. So that that's I've seen that with PTSD here and other forms. Like it's pretty amazing. It's the best therapy I've ever seen as a doctor. Mm. And then the other one that it's really good at is uh, your subconscious. Like I've done guided hypnosis and a bunch of other activities um, that kind of help you get to the subconscious. But psychedelics, in my experience, just open up like your conscious awareness of the subconscious. So it takes the cognitive blinders and it extends it a little bit back into the subconscious, which meditation will also do as will yoga over time. It just mm. a little bit faster. And then if somebody's done a lot of meditation and yoga, um, they still have, they, they have a lot more access. People who haven't done any of that or haven't done any work on this will often find out after the psychedelics that the, the access goes away. But people who spend a lot mm. of time Will often retain a little bit wider cognitive horizon afterwards these guys are the best chess players i've ever played in my entire <laughs> life i want to i want on my ecotourist list i want a chess grandmaster. i think they would win
0: you could probably get uh like one of the botez sisters or something to go down there some of the, like the, the live stream people really but can you always make that are... happen for me no I, I would just ping them i would just ask because <laughs> totally like they're
1: going always... to yeah
0: yeah the botez people they're they're the they're, they're these two sisters they have a a new move in in chess they have something called the botez mate which i'm it's where you deliberately blunder, because they're like they were just you know like a lot of a lot of their education i think was public so people were like they made a move that basically is them screwing up but uh they seem like really nice people i bet they'd want to go down there i think they're also latin American. i can never tell what people are but i think they are with the botez
1: I, I try never to tell because you you really never know when you think you know you're yeah. so wrong. But like uh, yeah, that that would be amazing because I think these guys would win. It I was so in shock. Also, they don't play like 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 North Americans. We we memorize books and look at moves and we have a lot of recognized patterns. Yeah, we so play on the computer. They don't play like that. Like it's like the whole board all together. Like at the same time, it's crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I could see that have people down have like a chess tournament. Maybe you can get uh the 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 big guy down there what uh what's his name the swedish guy the yeah. world champion what's his name I mean,
1: they get one game because shaman doesn't like to play it that often hmm. so he'll, well, i think I magnus think would probably only people, want to he one plays them once or twice that's it yeah but magnus
0: win. is the same way yeah. yeah okay great good i don't know the guy personally but i know of him and i watch him play he's the grandmaster of the world he's like the best guy
1: okay i don't i, I wish i knew i don't know
0: okay it's all right there's lots uh, of basically things
1: that I don't
0: know and that is one of them uh Magnus Carlson's the world champion and I think like the next guy underneath him is like 400 Elo points lower he's he's like the wow. best guy to ever live yeah he's pretty wow. he's also being sued for 100 million dollars by the the guy he forfeited to because he accused him of I don't know if you heard of this but like basically there's a guy named Hans Neiman or Neumann or something I don't know people who are in the chess world will know uh uh magnus was was chessing him he they were having a a tournament and he magnus thought he was cheating and there's been some speculation about if he was if he had things inserted in his body to like get radio signals of the right moves and so magnus walked away yeah like someone was like asking the computer to give him the right moves the opponent and so magnus walked away he kind of been accusing or implying accusations that he was you know cheating and then so that guy has sued chess.com at magnus for like a hundred million dollars it's a fun time in the chess world right now it, it's, it's just the hoot
2: oh my
1: god i mean th- that reminds me of this essay by Linklater, man computer symbiosis like
2: hmm.
1: people were i i really think a lot about this like we're always talking about competing with computers like who's better man or computer but the evidence would suggest that if you actually put like man computer teams together it's like a much better game. I'm trying to remember that how this works. I read somewhere about this. Like instead of having like the man play the computer, you have a, a man and a computer aided and then they mm-hmm. play each other. And I think that's just a much more interesting like interaction. I can totally see why that would be, a know a, a lot of drama, but I just wish we got over that and we're starting to work with computers.
0: Yeah, I think it's more like if they were, a, if they like made a specific, like specific thing where you did it versus just like you're, uh, I mean people have people have insinuated that he put something inside a portion of his body that would vibrate uh to let him know what was happening yeah I'm trying to like I'm not I'm trying to get the entire chess game like that
1: doesn't seem possible like you would need like what, people have like, code
0: pe- people have reverse engineered what it could be and you actually can with simple vibrations apparently uh get you know E5 you know etc
1: oh yeah you could you did that pretty easily
0: yeah but how's Magnus yeah, going to know?
1: Does he have like fiber like fiber optic vision? I'm sorry, I'm totally outside of my area of expertise. I no, it's all
0: good. No, yeah. I, th- it, I think Magnus was just like, it's too perfect. It's too perfect. The guy was doing like too perfect of moves in response to Magnus. And Ooh. Magnus just kind of smelled that that was wrong. And um,
1: he had an intuitive response. Now yes. I'm interested. This is like the most mathemat- logical mathematical person on the planet. And he made an intuitive decision. That guy is interesting.
0: Yeah, he's fun. He yeah. says women hates him. He, he always says women hate him. That's one of the things he says a lot. But we talked for like, not, like for an hour with no breakups. And then like I've, I heard pink brain, blue brain, and then nothing. So I, I don't know what you're saying. I'm very curious. I'm
1: probably probably yeah. shouldn't say it. But okay, so I fought forest fires for nine years. And I was often mm-hmm. the only woman in groups of like, t- usually my, my career for a couple of years would be like 22 men and me. But I'd be in fire camps sometimes with up to a thousand men. And I'd be the only woman. And hmm. one of the things that happened like after like seven or eight years is I just got really good at talking to men. I wasn't that great at talking to women, full disclosure. I actually had to talk to an anthropologist to learn how to talk to women, but then I developed the ability with some work. And I have definitely found that many of my women friends. They honestly don't know how to communicate with men and and vice versa. Like I, so I've actually had a lot of fun explaining to people how to talk to the opposite gender. I I don't know whether or not it's in the neurology that can easily be debated and it's never a popular debate, but my direct experience as a woman who tends to work with a lot of men is that um, most women don't really don't seem to think the way most men do i am
2: typical mm-hmm.
0: i think like a man but i'm a woman so mm. i think the if I, I would if this is my guess and how it works i think uh the guys are kind of straightforward in, the, in terms of like if you say something it's always problem solving like typically and then um women there's like it's more of like a fluid like conversations really meander a lot and you yeah. have to kind of be relaxed and let it flow usually when um so uh in my early 20s i would just let I would just talk to women all the time i don't i talk to less women now as a as a as a as a, a number statistically i think it's about the same percentage but um the and sort of asking like well how would the conversations go with men because i was just generally trying to learn a lot and uh the times when they were like i think the um the ones the guys that they were getting along with were the ones who could who were just a little bit more fluid and in, in picking up like the fact that they just kind of wanted to meander around versus like guys where it's like things are like bookmarked like i i parked my car here i'm gonna go straight for it a woman, it's like we're in this
1: subfolder. Yeah, men are men are good at subfolders. They're really good at cognitively compartmentalizing. And if you take, if you like, try and take them to another subfolder, they're like, no, this is the subfolder I've opened on my desktop. Let's just stay here.
0: Hmm. Is that so? Am I correct, or how how do you explain the no, difference between men and women?
1: If you talk to scientists, they will tell you there's no difference. Like it's just socialization, but I do. I just do not find that. And then you talk to other ones and they'll say that women's brains are wired more like a bowl of spaghetti. Like the connections just kind of, they go and men don't like that. They're like, that doesn't work. That's not logical linear. Of course it's not. Does that mean it's bad? No. So I think one of our biggest issues is that we need to stop saying one's better than the other. Yeah. Um at, at our company, we tend to pair people with neurodiversity and complementary brain skills. So we'll put an ADHD person with an Asperger person. Cause we think mm. we, we call it binocular brains, because if they usually they're both neurodivergent. So they're both like two standard deviations off, and they're pretty tolerant of each other's weirdness. So mm, the, the whole tolerance problem goes away. And then the two of them will like will like work if they can work together. The ADHD person will be like, "I'll handle all the chaos." Like whatever comes in, an Asperger's person is like, "Oh my god!" Like you answer the phone, and I'm just going to go do this. And the ADHD person is mm. like, "I'm so glad that you're going to follow this through to the end because I cannot keep oriented." So we, I think that men and women who work together harmoniously tend to do that. Like, um, th- they usually tend to delegate cognitive tasks to whoever's the strongest, and and that is associated with longevity, which is even cooler men live an average of 20 years longer in blue zones if women handle the routine daily tasks so men handle episodic tasks like a harvest like where it's like you're a hero you go out kill yourself die like come back and the Mm -hmm. women handle like the the routine daily stresses like childcare or or um or dishes and stuff like that any laundry anything periodic where it's chronic and men tend to live about 20 years longer in those societies that is not That's popular, but that is a fact.
0: Hmm. I have okay. always wondered why women last longer than men. Uh, it, it just kind of works out that way. I'm really sad for it because I don't want my wife to be without me. But you know,
1: they don't. They and they, they last equal times in a lot of these. Oh, okay. Like ok- Okinawa, all these blue zones, hmm. where people live past hundred years.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I, when some of my men friend, male friends are having problems with women. And they're like, they, I don't understand her. I don't, why is she doing this? And it's like, what have you asked? Like, it, like, I think everyone has a logic that makes sense to them. It's like, if you took the time to understand it. So I really like your idea of like com, com, uh, comparing two different people together in that way, because you're creating an opportunity for them to understand each other. But I generally think like, if you say, I don't understand you, I don't know why you're doing this like two times, you should probably like shut up and just <laughs> try and understand the other person, even if you disagree with them, because then you'll understand why they feel that way.
1: Yeah. Like I'm trying to think. uh, So women often tell me, I, it's funny after actually women will often be like what are men thinking and men like men will be like what are women thinking but what I have noticed is that women tend to ask men what are you thinking and men tend to talk to other men and not women about what they're thinking so you, you won't very often see a man asking women what are you thinking like uh the communicate there is like significant communication differences men tend to to stonewall so they'll shut down they'll be like well she's not listening to me so I'm just going to walk away whereas the women tends to get a little bit more. Critical that's based on research from John Gottman who studied marriage.
0: Hmm, understand yeah, yeah. Well, maybe some people and what's listen really to that interesting, if, you...
1: if you if you look at that research, you look at same sex couples. So he studied same sex couples to see how they fought, and that's fascinating, yeah.
0: Do they, they if it's two male brains, do they fight differently than a yeah, male and they a female do. brain?
1: It's so funny. Like, it's so funny. That's why I thought it was such a, I, I love him. He's great. So, yeah, he studied uh, same sex couples of both genders and then uh, like uh, heter- heterosexual couples of both genders. And then he compared notes on like what, what stuck around. So, men are more likely to stonewall. So, he calls it the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is like four yeah. negative behaviors, but one of them is stonewalling, like shutting down. And one of them is being critical. And we tend to think about the overt negative behaviors as bad, but he equates the two. And I think mm-hmm. any woman who hears that will be like, Oh yes, I hate, don't, I hate that.
2: Yeah. So. Especially when you're
0: trying to talk to them or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But if it's a they... biological
1: reason behind it. Men, if they trigger, they stay higher. Like, so do you know what triggers anyone know I mean by? Yeah. So if, if they trigger into emotional past their emotional threshold, they, they hurts them a lot more like emotionally. So they tend to like, uh, when women can stay a lot closer to an emotional trigger for a lot longer, without going over and becoming totally unable to communicate. Whereas men, once they get close to that threshold, they're gone. So men tend to like, try and suppress it more than women do. That's biological too.
2: That's
0: interesting. I always feel like that when it comes to emotions, uh, I have to suppress it so I don't get angry and yell at people. Cause if I'm a guy, I feel like, if like there's a guy guy who's yelling or a woman who's yelling, I'm probably statistically a higher chance of going to jail if I yell too much in public or something. So then I just, you know, a, a time and a place also I think yelling at someone's not very nice especially since I'm much bigger than most people
1: I like the Netflix show uh bad moms I because we we often talk about the ways that men are villains in our society but it's it's now that I'm seeing more movies and films about women we're exploring more about the ways that women can be villainous but it mm-hmm. is different and I feel like we need to pay attention to both genders and what's good and bad behavior
0: yeah. It, actually, I've been, I've been really enjoying the new stream of movies that are made for women. So the, and I, I can't, like when people talk about rep, representation stuff for a long time, I was like, I don't know. What does that mean? Like, what does it feel like to not have something? Because like there's lots of guys in movies. And then uh, recently, uh, Pixar put out this movie called Red Panda. And it was basically about like a woman having like her first, you know. Yeah, I love that. I, like I thought the movie was like a five out of 10. I was like, oh, it's good. You know, I don't know if I'd watch it again. But my wife was like, this is a 10 out of 10. Like I went through this, like, like, but the difference is like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like if I, if I went through my life, I never felt like someone was telling my stories. Like that would, that would piss me. Like it'd be so sad. So then yeah. like, like cinema helped, I don't know, at least me be less dumb in the, in these arenas, which is nice. But anyone want, like, if you want to know what I'm talking about, watch Red Panda with Steven and other and uh, see how you both uh, appreciate it. It's kind of fun. But, um, I, I'm curious. You talk about intense yoga. I've been trying to get into yoga. Cause my, I, I, I feel like my back is starting to fuse into wood but so what would you recommend people check out because it sounds like if it's like doing uh psilocybin or you know uh psychedelics it's like oh i can get like a, an uh, like an approximate you
1: can get high as hell like you can get high <laughs> on yoga as you can on ayahuasca you gotta do it for a while and you gotta get good at it but it's that's why people get addicted to yoga because they get high yeah you get a real body mm.
2: high.
1: um so it, it just takes a little bit hard, a little bit longer, and you have to put more attention into it. I've been practicing Bikram for about fifteen years now. Bikram yoga um, is named oh after, God. it, but it's the Bishnu Gosh lineage out of India. It's a lot more Westernized than other kinds of yoga. So I also practice Ashtanga, which is a little bit more traditional. The problem with Ashtanga is that you really um, you have to know you have to be pretty good at yoga so you don't injure yourself.
0: So um, start with Bikram and then go to Ashtanga.
1: They call it Bikram, but now they call it hot 26 and 2 because Bikram got unpopular. He got There's so many yeah. fun
0: names. Hot yeah, you can call it Bikram yeah. but
1: it's hot yoga, but but when I say hot, a lot of a lot of studios use the name hot yoga now and I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. Like I a yoga's like yeah, hey, like I think that you know, it's been the same for 5000 years for a reason. And yeah. and it, if we, when you actually find the real lineages, the ones that are a little bit more traditional, it has much bit better effects. So Bikram, they did a pretty good job of standardizing it, which is why I like it. I only practice like ninety minutes hot yoga, and it's it's very physically tough. So most people have a hard time with it. I think the thing about yoga is um, you pretty much can't hurt yourself with a Bikram class, but you can be vastly miserable. And a lot of people get Mm -hmm. go in and they're like, I'm going to be good at this. And I just say, give up on being good at it right now. Just like go in there, gentle approach, see how far you get, take a break if you need it, like there's no rush and then just go back. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we always want to be the best at everything when we start. I I put on 50 pounds during COVID. I was running a COVID testing network and I was up all night every night for like almost a year and a half. And I was not happy about that. And I took Mm -hmm. it all off. I took it off in a six month Bikram vendor. And it, it wow. stayed off. So Bikram is the best way that I know to lose weight, like bar none.
0: So it's like uh, every day for like 90 minutes. You I did. went
1: twice a day for six months. That's unusual. If you just go once a day for 30 days, you'll see the difference. Like it's, it's phenomenal. Once you do it, you're like, wow, I don't know anything else. There's a lot of ways that people will sell you that they can change the human body. But as a doctor, um, the evidence is just not good for most of the ways that we do it. The only thing I know that reliably, 100%, like reverse ages, lose, lose the weight, like fix all your organs, uh, is Bikram. Hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. I
0: have to, I'm working on losing weight. Cause I, I started new medication with the genetic illness I have. And I, I got a tubby cause I'm, my body was used to suffering more. So then yeah. like, I was burning like 5,000 calories a day and now got I'm it. down to just 3000. Yeah. So I gained 20, 30 pounds. I'm down 10. But I need the extra 20 because I'm, I'm a squishy now, as you can tell. And well, so, I'm going to so send you a like, link I'm gonna try of this out. how
1: my body changed. Most people,
0: one mm-hmm. of the
1: things that got me a lot when I put on that weight, because I'd always been really fit and uh, my whole life, because I was a firefighter and I was a climber. And, you know, I just always had kind of, I didn't really think about it. I was athletic. Um, and I was burning stuff cause I had sports that I loved and I think yeah. I grew up off the grid. So I was pretty athletic then. So I never really had to lose a significant amount of weight before. And when I had the weight to lose, I was like horrified. I was like, oh, this will never go away. I'm going to be able to wait for the rest of my life. I think I hurt my back at the same time. So I had a slipped disc and hmm. I was just like bottom of the barrel, like totally helpless about it. And I just went and hung out with, I, I'm going to give them plugs to Kata Hot Yoga Studio in Phuket, Thailand and go over like uh whipped me back into shape um he's one of the world's best teachers he's a character but but by far one of the best yoga teachers i've ever worked with um and then yeah it was six months and the thing is you really can change the body you just got to use the right technologies to do it so
0: yeah well i'm i'm happy to guinea pig myself and, and i'll let you know if it if it works you get all the credit if it doesn't work it's my fault I'm um, yeah, so com-
1: medicine doctor. Intermittent fasting, on yoga, done. Tiny habits, you're done.
0: What is the? What is so? Is intermittent fasting the one where you don't eat for sixteen hours? Is it? There's a where like you eat at like seven and then you don't eat until like noon? Yeah, I did it an it eating is?
1: window when I lost the weight. Now I I kind of practice it, but I don't really think about it, so it's a little bit more fluid. But I, I was doing like a four to eight hour eating window, and I just didn't eat outside of that. And that okay. seemed to work for my body type really well. So intermittent fasting is one of the best technologies I know for losing weight. And then Bikram yoga will take the weight off. Like you will not believe it just, it sucks. It's not a comfortable, uh, experience. So mm-hmm. definitely approach it with like, I'm going to do what I can. <laughs> nothing more, <laughs> nothing less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll,
0: yeah. I'll I'll try to, I'll try to just like be like water working its way up the tide. If I can do like five yeah. minutes and 10 minutes, 30 minutes, I'll work my way up it. Yes. That but, is um, the way to do it. Yeah. The, uh, what books w- would you recommend people check out? And I've thought of a book for you as well, which is behind me.
2: Really? So I'll Why? grab it while you. Yeah, yeah. Tell uh, me it. Uh,
0: where is it? Where is it? Uh, oh, here it is. It's next to Julius. I don't know if you can see Julius. It's Julius Caesar over there, right there. Oh. And uh, it's a more immortality key. It talks about uh, psychedelics and the history of them it's really oh, good I'm, I'm reading the religion it with no
1: name that's fascinating okay yeah I'm all yeah over
0: it this. talks about how uh it talks about how the this I I read I heard uh I heard it off of uh Joe Rogan but basically uh psychedelics might be the root uh cause religion? of religion yeah it's really cool like that we've seen so much different evidence like ergot and pottery and the, all these other things it's it's really neat I'm only like the first third in or else I'd say more uh, cool things about it but I'm enjoying it a lot and it's kind of like talked about some of the things we talked about. Also a yoga. For so can...
1: I study yoga and Buddhism, you name it, and I would describe myself as a mystic, but I will say that, that these guys are pretty much just on the same
2: page. They're all to be mystics, the Christian Gnostics, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? What are books? Oh, okay. Uh, so do you want fiction or science? Uh, both. Uh, this is my fiction side and
0: I need to fill it out. And this is my nonfiction side. So I, I still have well, like more okay. shelves on the top.
1: Do you have name of the wind?
0: Uh, name of the Wind. Name of the Wind. Name of the. Why does that sound familiar? Name of the Wind. What is it about?
1: Possibly greatest book. It's by Patrick Rothfuss. And I'm gonna yes, I do it. have
0: that one. Yes, and I have. I read the, you, in the second like, one.
1: Yeah. If your readers read it, I'm sorry in advance, but you should still do it. Like there's only two of a trilogy. And yeah. you're gonna hate me when you finish it. So, but you you wouldn't take it back. I really liked the one after that, which hardly anybody likes, which was the slow, the slow regard of silent things. That for me was a beautiful book too.
0: Do you think? Uh, do you think the? Do you think he, the guy in the slow regards? I'm just speaking, you know, so I don't get in trouble for spoiling things. Do you think he's the son of Ra- 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 Rashi, the teacher?
1: Ooh, I did. I did. I yeah. saw that one. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I also think that Rothfuss might have had a spiritual awakening, because what he described from the slow regard of silence, like the, the theories of the two books is pretty mm-hmm. diagnostic. But yeah, um, you should expect a third eventually if he, if he gets all the way through it. Um, but I will uh, say that if, since most people are left wanting after that, you can read a Canadian author called Guy Gabriel Kay, who never writes more than he's one great. book. Yeah, and he wrote Tagana as yeah. my favorite.
0: Yeah. Yes, I like that one too.
1: Yeah. It's so my favorite. Yeah. So I always give people taste. in that order. Like they can they can go theme of the winds. And then if they are nicking out, they can go to Tagana.
0: Have you uh are you a fan of Brandon Sanderson? He's the person I recommend. I'm reading Way of people. Keys right
1: now. Ray of Kings. Yeah.
0: I have Way of Kings right there.
1: No way, right. really? Oh my god. Yeah. I, I just I'm got... stuck
0: at the depth. There it is.
1: Yeah, I was like right where I don't want to ruin it. Never mind. It's pretty good. I um it's a trill, it's a series though, right?
0: It's gonna be 10 books. There's four out yeah and there's it's a fifth one he's 20 percent out
1: i was getting yeah. kind of depressed in the first one though does it get
2: better should i keep going
0: uh, are you talking about kaladin
2: yeah
0: uh he he has depression it is a factor of his personality but okay. he works on it he okay. he takes the next step It it's very good i like it the series i like it very okay.
1: much oh I, I will continue with it i was like it actually helped me like i i published a poem in john johns hopkins called power shields right about the time i was reading that and it really made me think okay you know what like if i have power i'm gonna
2: use it
0: mm-hmm. yeah that that's a very similar pro, uh concept to the i'm trying not to spoil anything you're only you're only like halfway through or something of the first book right i am just in
1: the beginning but I, like it, i got so depressed i was like and then i was like and then i made decision. <laughs> I a was like no i, just, I deleted the book because so i was like you know what i'm not going to go that really um, cause mm-hmm. there's a, there's a time there was, there's been a couple of times in my life where I realized, shit, I've got power right now. And it's terrifying because you're like, I could be, I could hurt somebody. And there's this desire yeah. to like abdicate it. And, um, I realized that I had a responsibility. So what I'm doing right now is has the potential to, to change the lives of a lot of people. And I think I just felt very yeah. like unworthy. Um, but this, that book helped me sort through it anyway. Yeah. Okay, so you want a
2: fiction? You want
0: a nonfiction one? Sure, I, I would. I know it's a it's a sad. There are sad elements, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I could recommend it given what you said. But I would if if you ever in the headspace to read it. it def, there's a lot of stuff in there that I draw on all the time, especially really? with Dalinar. Dalinar has a book where he is basically suffering from alcoholism the entire book because he realizes he did something terrible, and uh-huh. uh, it, like how he works through that is really interesting.
1: Okay. No, I'll keep going. Yeah. I, I, it seems to me he just got slower character development, so I will. I will stick with it.
0: Yeah, he thanks takes for, his time.
1: Thanks for letting yeah. me know.
0: If you if it gets too much, you can always check out the Mistborn series, which has a a female strong character. I, as I got, main got one.
1: part. I got part of the way through that one too. I you know what? I, what I do give him real credit for world building. He doesn't. He doesn't go yeah. halfway. He's Frank Herbert ish on that. Like, well,
0: he, he, are you familiar with the Cosmere? No. All of his, all like a Mistborn, way of kings. They're all in a like a, a shared universe, and you can oh. actually world hop from one to the other. There's a person in Mistborn called Hoid, who yeah. is Wit in uh, way of kings. Wit is Hoid. Yeah. No way. Hopper. No yeah. way. Okay. That this I got it.
1: Okay. Then I'll keep going.
0: Yeah, and there's a forum where people have like tied it all together and have uh like the I knew there was something the seventeenth shard yeah yeah what is not a normal guy i
1: know he's not
0: that. he's he's not even te- I, I don't even think you could say he's a guy he was he was there before the shattering and uh like you know like uh, odium the 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 villain yes yeah. 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 yeah i uh i won't say anymore but there's but yeah, like i don't No, i'm gonna
1: discover it now
0: yeah yeah it's good it's like everything ties together I'm it's trying fun. to
1: give I of any Good World building books that I have read, so we don't ruin it. But actually, we'll probably ruin it for everybody. Okay, never mind. It's
0: yes, a good So then what are, uh, what's a nonfiction?
1: Uh, well, I'll give you one that most people don't find. It's called Shaman Healers and Medicine Men. We talked so much about shaman. Hmm. It's an anthropologist, and he went all over the world, and he correlated the stories of indigenous shaman. And I think he did a pretty good job. There was like a group of anthropologists. They were called shaman bros in the 90s. And they were a little bit more colonial with getting people's stories and kind of changing them. But I, th- I think his name is Holger Calwait. and he, um, he wrote down all of their stories as the best he could in their own language, and then he just took them and correlated them. So he I'm didn't so sure. translate them or interpret them or.
0: Up to anything, which I think was the end of your statement. He didn't change anything, so I think he we got the whole sense. He just
1: grouped them together into themes. So, like a lot of them talked about, like the underworld. So, you have like a chapter in the underworld, but it's in their language. Oh, you, you read like a a Nepalese shaman and a shaman from India, somebody from South America, and then they all talk about the underworld. So, it's pretty cool. It's like actually, you know, it's like your cosmere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It it is interesting how there are common themes in all of societies. Like, there's like there's yeah. like some stories are just universal. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, they've mapped the they've mapped the either the subconscious or the astral space, depending on who you ask. Okay, and then one more, and I'll give and I'll I'll stop. Um, there's a book called Zen and the Art of Archery.
2: I, I want
0: to learn know. archery. That's my next thing. Zen, okay, this is by I'm, I'm teaching Perigel. myself machine learning. Zen archery.
1: Yeah, it's I don't quite, know why I'm
0: doing this. This is recorded.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I, I was I, I do too. Actually, I was doing the same thing. Uh, yeah. you, okay, so Eugene see Eugene Holger is a German who goes and studies uh, archery as a Zen sport in Japan. So it is translated, like it's a Westerner writing about the art of archery and the mm-hmm. book Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance was taken from that book. But Eugene Harrigal's original work is stunning. I just actually shared a chapter of it with the shaman. So I translated it to Spanish to give it to me. He was like, this is the best shit ever. <laughs> so it's kind of fun how the Zen Buddhist and the shaman, where they intersect. So. Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. I'm I'm gonna check uh, every book that you set out, and uh, I'll have to reread uh, "Name the Wind." Uh, I've read it like six or seven times, but there's always something new, which Did makes me sad that there's not story? more.
1: If you haven't found the Bash short story yet, it's in a collection. I I went looking.
0: The the lightning tree.
1: Yeah, that one's also pretty good. Okay, never mind. You you've run out of you 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 run out of supply.
0: It is sad. Well, I'm I'm near Chicago, so like sometimes. Or not, no one docks me, the, so I could drive up to Stevens Point and be like, "Where, where is our office?
1: No, I, I think just I always just send him really, really positive thoughts, like you can do it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, he's really suffered from mental health uh, because of all the weight on him. So, like, yeah. I, in all yeah. seriousness, I hope he, do, he's doing well. He seems yeah, to be doing more. Yeah, I would send him better. like
1: I would send him a little like uh, Tinker belt, you know, like the the Carrie like you got this, it'll be okay. I just really want that book. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a another author, uh, Jim Butcher. He's yeah. working on it. It's the Dresden Files. It has tw- it's gonna have twenty three books in it. And we're on book seventeen, and it's about like a PI. It's imagine like Gandalf as like a as a PI who goes around and like solves crime, and he's a wizard. Okay, it's like kind of. I, I, we- I got
2: it. It's kind of
0: weird. Out. It's kind of so. It's kind of weird for the first three or four books, but then then he starts riding a dinosaur, and then it's just great. You okay, find
1: this one i definitely could do wait that one last one have you read the bartimaeus trilogy
0: the bartimaeus what's trilogy? like one book in it
1: oh it's like the best it's like about it's like artemis foul but for mm. um, uh it's like a boy and a demon but the boy and the demon it's like harry potter with teeth sorry i always describe it
2: mm. it's so clever i have not it's so clever check it out.
1: Oh my, it's my, it might be my favorite book of all time. Like it's my favorite character. It's just so hilarious and light. And like, have you read Artemis Fowl or any? I know of it though. Okay. Yeah. Artemis Fowl and but it's good, but this is like, I read it before I went to med school and it was like one of the highlights of my life. Cause I was just gardening and had it on an audio and was like addicted to it. And then all three books on like a week. And it was like maybe the best week of my life. Hmm.
0: I'm gonna check them all out. So I appreciate the suggestions. And if anyone else uh, listening in reads them, you know, in the show notes or like write one of us to tell us what you think. Because uh, if you just consume it, what's the fun of that? Engage with us at the same time. So I know we're 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 going over the time. Um, Is there what help do you need with what you're working on? Is there are there people out there with skill sets? I know you had a list of people you're looking for. Is there something you need help with? Anything that we can do?
1: Well, guinea pig ecotourists would be great if they've got one of that list of skills. Anybody can follow us on Twitter or TikTok or any other channels as Savimbo, and it does help us a lot. Um, mm. We're doing an investment raise right now. So, and we're looking for investors who uh, really respect that two thirds of our company is Indigenous shaman. Um, so, and then we're also looking for uh, clients, industrial clients, to buy their carbon credits. So,
0: if anyone knows any, if you work at a place like that, you're at a vc fund you're an associate or your partner i know there's a couple of partners i know one of i know several partners who listen to this so maybe one of you would be interested in this but you never know your influence so like you know take what you have and i assume there's like a pdf or something they can send it, send it to their boss or like you know get excited about it i think sometimes yeah. people feel like they don't have agency even if they're just like you know an employee at a place but you can take you can like share and get people excited about it if you if you, if you read or like like this conversation and you go read more and, you, and you're enjoying it i think you can potentially pitch up and then have your company at least do something that you enjoy unless it's amazon you're on your own, you're on, well, you're I, on your own I, I think
1: google found us off of a google search i turned out and mm. uh and then uh shell found us on our twitter so i think people wow. have a lot more impact than they think they do um also yeah. if you if you follow our twitter i'll send you a sexy tree once a week
0: this is true i get sexy trees yeah. in, my Im- in my in my <laughs> my inbox and there's like sexy right? this? they're nice trees Well, when tree. i see sexy,
2: sexy tree. yeah
0: yeah i was concerned because like i would get spam and if you see sexy in like an email i assume i'm not supposed to open it so it was fun to, to get a nice piece of tree <laughs> it's
1: just a tree, <laughs> my, my, yeah, it's just a tree. My, my email person was like we have terrible click through i was like that's because they're getting what they want they just wanted a sexy tree and they've got it like hmm. yeah
2: yeah
0: and then um is there i think you froze
1: Yes, yeah, okay, you're back. Okay. No, it's
0: all good. We're, we're doing yeah. good. Like, this is, I mean, really, there hasn't been that many. Uh, uh, this has been
1: so much fun. I'm so glad you hung in with me because, like, yeah,
0: yeah. And I was just gonna say, uh, the website's the best way, the TikToks, all that stuff will be in the show notes. Is there a, a different way to stay up to date? You don't have like, I don't think you have a newsletter.
1: Uh, We have an email newsletter. It's where the sexy trees are, but I'm just not doing a lot with it right now, but we're going to, we're going to enhance it. People can also subscribe to a a small farmer and they get matched to the small farmer. It's 20 bucks a month. They can offset their carbon signature and that helps to plant trees, helps the small farmer, helps with ecotourism and also helps with the biodiversity credit. So, and then we'll send them emails about that and when their trees planted and all that.
0: Is it possible? Is there like a calculator that exists where you can put in all your information? Like I drive drive this type of car X amount of times and have this big of a house to calculate
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: I need to read more into your website then. I think I missed it.
1: Yeah. Like I I feel like our website is, we're still working on getting it like fleshed out because a lot of the science, we've really struggled with this. A lot of the science is too complicated for people. So we have main market people who are like, make a Jaguar. (laughs) Save my furry yeah, ass, sexy tree. And then we had like the climate scientists who were like, How many tons of carbon are you sequestering per week? And you know, and then mm. we're trying to like bridge the gap, but I, the climate market just seems so divided.
0: Yeah. So. There was a there was a time where I was building a startup that had three different audiences and it is murder to build one copy for all that we at one point in time we thought about having like a tab where you say are you a scientist are you uh someone who just an enthusiast or whatever and it would change the website and the copy for that person um i think big corporations just have like a a tab of products and it says like you know here's some case studies for who would like it and then they self-select in um but it is it is hard to have you know multiple uh target groups when you're trying to make up right now
1: we've just got a, a big nav bar um, cause yeah. we didn't want to make too big of it, but we're, we're, we're actually building a, a website where you can like a little bit of social network where you can like, um, so clients, growers and staff, and like, we'll have an academic panel in there as well to make it yeah. a little bit easier, an- but yeah, I agree.
0: Another tip, if you want to, uh, I don't know, like downgrade it to make it more easy to read is, uh, I'll give it to chat GTP and say, Hey, rewrite this in like at a different like eighth grade level. And, and then I don't necessarily like what it says, but I'll edit it down from there. And it's actually kind of nice.
1: I, I, I wish, I think all my friends wish they could do that with me when I talk.
0: What? You talk normal.
1: (laughs) No, a VC told me uh, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, he's like, you go full nerd real quick. (laughs) It's going to be on my tombstone.
0: I don't know if you're just being yourself. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe it was like a, just a compliment. He you know, mean what? I just way. realized
1: we're all different and we've all got, we've all yeah. got our audience. <laughs> like, yeah. Turns out my audience is in a group of indigenous shaman. They're okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think the, the first time we met, it was at a space a space conference. And uh, I don't know. I enjoyed our conversation from the get-go. Well, I did say your name wrong the first time. But oh, I yeah. The mad.
1: I, I'm so robust to that. I don't care. I, I That was the best space conference. Can we tell mm-hmm. people about that one? The Cowboys space event? that was yeah, maybe it's one of the best conferences I ever went to in my entire life
0: yeah it's fun uh the they consider me news so I, I got to go for free
1: oh my god I'm so jealous I think I had to pay to get in or I might have snuck in through the back door I do that a lot for the best ones
0: they they, they didn't seem to care all that much they were just glad people were there there's some uh, yeah, I know, was, I was judging
1: the kids space competition like they had a kids competition for biodomes and I judged the medical end of it which was maybe the most fun hmm. but then I made friends I
2: don't with kids. I remember Leon. you being
0: a judge
1: yeah there are many friends with me on the rocket scientist and we've been piling around ever since he actually helped me launch this he's been a huge support so
0: they never know how, how life comes together so then everyone check out the, these resources and uh th- this took some work so I, I you know let us know if you enjoyed this I like the engagement I started a new YouTube and I've gotten more comments off of that than my other pod the audio version of the podcast even though it's like Someone people keep telling me that it's actually I have a lot of uh subscribers, which is weird. But um, so I just wanna I'm doing the outro now and it's not normal because I'm doing it differently. So basically, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Everyone, thanks for 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 hanging in there, tolerating all the nerd talk. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully it hopefully didn't go over your head. Um, any of these things that if you're curious about, if you comment on, I'll clarify as well. So that's cool. Um, and this is some really cool uh stuff that we talked about today. So I just want to thank Dreo for coming on to talking with me and us, everyone listening in uh, to the show and uh, people can make fun of my outro because I don't know what to say at the end. So I just want to thanks again for being on the show and everyone tuning in.
2: (laughs) I'm thankful too. Thank you so much. This was amazing.